listening to a discussion born in the Christian ghetto. The host for today's Christian ghetto discussion is Kruptos of the Substack Seeking the Hidden Thing, with Santiago Pliego of New Founding, San Fidesti of the Substack Position and Decision, and Stephen W. Carson of the YouTube channel Radical Liberation. Links are in the description. Santiago, welcome. Now hey, thanks for to talk to you. There hey, we man. go. Um, San Fidesti also got an invite as well. I, I, he's not yet listening. So, but anyways, I've been introducing the topic to everybody, kind of slow walking the. Um, it's like the um, Ocean's Eleven movie: the difference between a hard open and a soft open. So we did a soft open, and we're very close to the hard opening. Um, um, so we've been talking about uh, just introducing the idea that um, a number of us have been chatting about the importance of the idea of philosophical materialism as it relates to opposition to the regime, because the regime is firmly um, materialist, um, even if not openly materialist, at least in, in practice materialist, and in setting up contract, real meaningful contrast to the regime, um, you look for sort of where are our, you know, hard differences. And if you're an atheist and you're opposing an atheist regime, you're basically working from the same set of principles that the regime is. And it's hard to set up a real meaningful contrast that way. And so if you look around, where are the living um, traditions in terms of non- atheist or non-secular uh, Christians, it, it really you come down to the Christian faith and a living Christian faith. But then that also becomes problematic because many in the Christian faith are also, even when they profess a genuine faith in God, which is, you know, nobody wants to doubt that, that faith, but we often end up living as materialists. And um, there we go. We've got another co-conspirator in here. All right. Here we go. We're sort of just soft rolling it. Um, there. Kryptos, if you need to, you can also, you should be also, if it's helpful, you can make some other people co-host. Yeah, I think I, that yeah, would. that would help things. Okay, why don't I give that to you? I will, I will do that for you, Santiago. There we go. I'll send you a co-host invite. And then I also, I sent it to, to San Fidesti, but I don't know if he's having trouble joining. The, Interesting. Yeah, so I invited him to speak, and I invited him for co-host, but he's just, maybe the technology thing is catching up with him. There yeah. we go. And also... Be the co-host 
but co-hosts is helpful to moderate the space if we need to upgrade people. Well, that's good. That's that's helpful. Yeah. So I figured we'd have two or three of us at least um, co-hosting, yeah. and that way, because it it could get fairly big. Um, Biggs, are you is um, is I've got at least I've got a, a chat open here that we can um, that if people need to message me, then they can do that um, in terms of. But I sent out invites to everyone I recognize in terms of seeing. Um, well, there we go. We send out. See if he'll. I'll invite him to speak. I don't know if he's going to or not. <laughs> um. So as we get into this whole, you know, the thing of like, okay, so what is what is the what is, uh, philosophical materialism, right? And in a nutshell, philosophical materialism is the argument that there is nothing other than material world. So whatever there is, is physical. It's atoms, you know, neutrons, um, protons, uh, electrons, that sort of thing. They all bounce around and everything happens relative to you know, physics, biology. There is nothing beyond what we can see or measure. Everything is material. Um, and this has profound implications for how you function in life. And, and the, the, the corollary to this is then, from an intellectual perspective, is everything is rational. Sort of the only ideas that really should be considered are ideas that can be, you know, tested scientifically, rationally. Um, there is no non-rational knowledge. Um, there's nothing that you cannot say with words. And if, if, if it can't be put into words, if it can't be measured, if it can't be seen, if it can't be touched, tasted, felt, um, it isn't really real. And it isn't real knowledge. It's just kind of squishy. And so this is a very, it's been very powerful in creating the modern world by focusing just on the material. You know, mostly in a sense of how things work, and then how do we harness the things once we understand basically how they work, um, and largely how do we harness them to make money, um, which is also sort of a, the other corollary. But once you begin to focus and go down this route, that the only knowledge that is really real is that which can be measured, that which is rational, um, that which you can put into words. Um, you limit yourself in profound ways because there are whole reams of knowledge that are non-rational. We can get it. I don't know if anybody wants to, to add something that way. Um, I don't want to get going on like I'm doing a um, a, a lecture. <laughs> Which, yeah, you're good. I think I think giving some context to folks uh, also in terms of how this started. We. Alongside what you just said, Cryptos, we a bunch of us were chatting uh, off uh, off the space uh, over the last couple of weeks, and really think ever even just for ourselves, for Christians, a way to uh, to really speak and think like Christians. The world is much more than just atoms, and more than than mere matter, and yet the the way in which we've been sort of trained and catechized to live our lives and think about the way we, we do ordinary living 
is very much within the bounds of what we can touch and see. Um, even, and, and it, you know, that, that um, uh, has implications even in simple ways like you forget to pray because the, unlike our forebears who would have seen an immediate, uh, recognize the immediate power of prayer as, a, as an ordinary means of grace and uh, a necessary kind of tool to interact with the world as it is as it's built by God, we've we've sort of foregone those things, and we we get wrapped up in just living lives as functional atheists, essentially. Um, and so the discussion that a bunch of us were having along those lines was spilling over into well, we had a good good a good couple of days going on this subject, and we decided well, why don't we just put a Twitter space uh, together, put it out in the open, see uh, see who comes, and we can shape this idea sort of in public. Yeah, and it, it's it, it's an interesting thing because you know it, we talk about practical and, and functional materialism, right? So, what's the difference between sort of like a real philosophical materialism and a functional materialism? Like, there's a lot of people that once you come down to it, uh, philosophical materialism is 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 a fairly easy philosophical idea to start poking holes in. It it doesn't hold up to really rigorous analysis, um, and so many people will back off from that. The, the interesting thing is, even though they back off from it intellectually, they end up living as if they're materialists, right? Now, from a Christian perspective, um, you know, a, a really good example is, you know, um, uh, people's relationship to, say, modern medicine, right? Well, what's the first thing that you do when when you get ill, right, as a Christian, right? Is the first thing that you do, call your pastor and say, listen, you need to gather the elders and come anoint me with oil, and pray over me. No, that's not what you do. And that doesn't necessarily make you a bad person, but what you do is you phone your doctor and you book a doctor's appointment. And we carry out these types of examples all along the way, right? So our society is falling apart. Well, what's the first thing that we need to do? Well, we need to get a political action committee together, and we need to write some legislation. We need to make, well, that's essentially a materialist answer, right? It's not necessarily a bad answer, and it's not something that we shouldn't be doing, but that's not necessarily a materialist answer. So you're basically answering the regime using the same structures and language that the regime is built on. So you're playing the regime's game. So then how do you not play the regime's game? Well, you have to begin to sort of step away and say, well, okay, we could we break apart this argument of philosophical materialism is dumb, and anyone who tries to hold to it is it's it's just it makes you look foolish. But at the same time, we all live and act and conduct ourselves as if we're materialists. So then, how do we do different things? And that's really kind of the question you need to begin at. So how do we as Christians then draw a contrast between ourselves and the regime and saying? Okay, we can act in material ways, we can act in the material world, and, and that's fine to do, but then how do we draw a contrast between ourselves and the regime in terms of our genuine belief, our living belief, that there is a reality beyond what we can see, taste, and touch, and that this reality that's beyond what we can see, taste, and touch is probably more important than the things that we can see, taste, and touch. What's, uh, one of the things that... that is very relevant to this discussion is um, and why it's it's important to, as we discuss it in, in context or the light of living under under a regime with a particular set of beliefs and values 
is that wrapped in the discussion of materialism is the question of where does meaning come from? If the world is fundamentally uh, just matter, just cold dead matter, then it means that meaning can be imposed on it, it should be imposed on it. Uh, an organization, organizational force can come from the outside, and that would be us imposing a particular kind of meaning onto the world if it indeed is purely matter. Uh, if it's not, uh, if there's something beyond it that is just as real in a sense, in a, in a, in a C.S. Lewis sort of way, if it's just as real, if not more real than, than, than atoms themselves, there's something beyond atoms and matter that exists, then that order is imposed not from not uh, from ourselves onto matter, but it's sort of imposed by an external force. Uh, and of course, as Christians, we, we understand where that comes from. But very quickly, as you discuss materialism, you're, you're venturing into this question of where does meaning come from? The, the practical, the, 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 how this looks practically is in discussions around transgenderism, for example, where matter, if people are simply atoms uh, put together in a particular way where, you know, who's to say that you can't rearrange them in, in, in a different way if, if all they are is a collection of, of you know, uh, carbon atoms and uh, this, that, and the other print, put in a particular sequence. If that's not the case, if there are constraints of meaning that are outside of what matters, then we need to we need to deal with human beings very very differently. Well, it, it, there's I think several layers. You're absolutely right, Santiago. There's several layers to this question, right? On the, on the one hand, um, it, this question is if the world itself has no meaning, if it's just dead matter, then meaning, as you say, it comes from me. And and the first the first level is this is that places a tremendous burden on every single person because if there's going to be meaning in life i have to find it myself like i'm in a cold heartless world that means nothing it doesn't care about me because it doesn't have there's 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 nothing but dead matter out there so if there's meaning it must come from within and you can see within sort of the psych the, the, the weight of that problem upon people for the most part causes a lot of them to just simply check out because they don't know how to create meaning themselves. They don't have meaning. So they'd rather numb themselves with either drugs or video games, or television. They take trips. Um, you know, there's just, it, it, on, on every level, we're trying to, in some sense, dull ourselves and numb ourselves from this question of, well, what does it all mean? And if I have to come up with that meaning, um, you know, we often, most of us collapse in that process, right? We just can't, can't bear that burden. The other layer that it comes to is this question then, now, if you, in a world that was less technically sophisticated, it's maybe not an issue, but in a world that is technologically powerful, if I have an internal meaning where I says, this is what I believe the world is and how it means, then you can say, well, if I'm born, you know, with all of the genetics of a male, but I believe and the meaning that I feel internally is that I'm a female and the, the technological power of the world of, of the world that we've created this technical world allows me to to modify the world so that way I can try to match it to my feeling so then I'm doing this process of materialism of creating a world externally that's in harmony with what's internal and that's kind of where a lot of these drives come from, is that I'm then trying to use technology to, um, 
to to match the the meaning that I believe is in the world with the physical realities to impose that meaning on the world. And it's also a question of wealth as well, too, right? So, um, uh, if I have the money and the power and the technique that I can do it, then then I can po- and I can impose my meaning on the world. And so you have these two things of a meaningless world and people sort of falling apart. So they grasp then for these meanings to say, I can create meaning and I can do it by creating and forming my identity. And then technology can aid me that I can pump myself full of hormones. I can do surgery and I can adapt my own body, my whole world to this meaning that I believe I have. And, and it's very seductive and, and, and very powerful. Cryptos, have you read, um, and I, uh, actually, maybe before I jump on my question, Sanfa, do you want to, do you want to test your mic? Can you hear us? <clears throat> yeah, I'm, uh, I'm in the car. I was on the highway, so I just pulled over. <laughs> uh, I was, I was behind a semi truck, so I thought I should stay quiet for a bit. There you go. That's probably wise. Yeah, we don't want you killing yourself to to participate in a Twitter space. That's that's not good. Not worth it. <laughs> uh, and then Stephen, I uh, I invited you to speak if you want to if you want to join us. Um, but uh, I I just re- reset the invite. Either way. Um, so Cryptos, have you read um, have you read Technopoly by uh, Neil Postman? Yes, a long time ago. Okay. Yes, uh, that that was uh, something that was introduced in undergrad, which I, I hate to admit is like the ninety <laughs> the 90s. <laughs> you know, you, you're going to date docs uh, yourself? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah. So I'm an old guy, mid fifties. Let's put it that way. So. <laughs> nice. Well, I've I've been reading it for the first time. Uh, a friend, uh, uh, John Escones, recommended it, and um, one of the one of the uh, I'm still sort of near the, the first half of the book. But one of the interesting things uh, Postman details, he kind of breaks, you, you guys are familiar with uh, Aaron Wren's Three Worlds of Evangelicalism, the, the positive, neutral, and the negative world. Postman has a similar framing of the world, but uh, it, with regards to humans' relationship with technology. The first world, uh, or the first stage, you would call it, uh, is the, the, the tool using humans or tool making humans where the relationship between humanity and tools or technique, uh, technology is marked by a constraint that is imposed upon technology by their understanding of tradition, religion, the fact that the world is not just matter, uh, understanding that they're connected to ancestors and, you know, a particular place in a particular time, et cetera. As you move out of a tool making or tool using, uh, uh, stage you go to a technocracy where technology starts to invade and erase some of these lines and connections to tradition and spirituality. T- technology all of a sudden becomes this thing that starts to give uh, human beings its, uh, their their key loss as opposed to just being a thing that they essay in, their, in an attempt to, to take dominion of the world. And finally, as you move out of techno- uh, technocracy, you move into a technopoly which is where the ultimate goal of humans is to invent and to reinvent and to form and uh, shape the world through technology and, and thus create more and more technology to continue in this sort of endless cycle to try to shape the world into an utopia. But by doing so, uh, 
we end up sort of reframing ourselves and what it means to be human. Yeah. So and it, the reason I bring this up as context, because uh, I'd be curious your thoughts, because you've thought a lot about, uh, you've read a lot of the uh, your, uh, how much of, of this shift towards materialism is connected to the utterly digital lives that we live on a day, day in, day out uh, basis, where we are sort of more disconnected from our traditions, our roots, our uh, ancestors, our histories, and are now living in this sort of digital, amorphous uh, space. Yeah, well, it, it, when Alul in, in the technological society, when he draws the sort of the history of, of technique moving from sort of early embedded, uh, you know, culturally distinct uh, tool usage to the, the technological society, the, the, it was, he basically brought two major features. He had, there was five or six, I think, but the two that were decisive. One was that there was a time of great upheaval, so there was a certain plasticity for, to society. But at the same time, um, there was also a throwing off of old restraints. So um, the Protestant Reformation weakened the, the authority that the Catholic Church had over society to um, order life under a hierarchy of being that subordinated things like technology and the making of money um, for example, because those are your two big forces with the rise of the bourgeoisie and, and the, the merchant classes and so forth, is by shaking off the authority of the Catholic Church, they were then able to free um, learning, science, um, technology, and the making of money from the constraints that authority placed on them. So there was no, there was no longer any constraints. So once you then throw off those constraints that place them and subordinate them to other, you know, religious, spiritual concerns, they're then free to, you know, work out the, the, um, the logic of their own ends that way. And, and that's sort of the things that like Heidegger talks about and what Postman's referring to is that we enframe ourselves in a technological society. We gain great power, as I wrote recently, but we, we give up certain things as well, too. By, you know, anytime that you you focus exclusively on a certain set of characteristics or a certain, like, aspect of life to the detriment of everything else, um, all those other things wither, but then you also create a kind of unbalance to life. Um, and so we're seeing the, the, the outworking of this thing of everything being framed by technology and money, basically. And that's sort of the, the two giant um, pieces in our life. And so, yeah, once you get to the point of the digital world, it just becomes all-consuming almost. Uh, Stephen, I see that your mic is up. Do you want to try jumping in, testing it? Well, yeah, you can hear me, right? We can. Okay. Um yeah, I, my tentativeness is not uh, audio. It's uh, that I have a radically different view on these things. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. So, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't buy a lot of the emphasis that is put on technology. Um, here, here's an interesting thing, and I've covered this on my channel. Um, there was an industrial revolution a thousand years ago in Christendom. Um, and it didn't have all these effects that the later industrial revolution had. Um, and that's a whole other story. But anyway... This simple story where 
technology comes along and it like changes us and our values and stuff, I, I don't really buy it. Um, I think that um, people can uh, express their values uh, to some degree, regardless of the technological landscape. Um, and, and I think uh, it's a cause and effect confusion to look at, you know, our, our current age, um, you know, technological age or whatever, and say, you know, this is like why we're disconnected to each other. I, I think we're disconnected to each other for other reasons, and technology is just uh, the way we're doing it. Why, why don't you delve into that a little further, Stephen? I'd, I'd be curious to see what you have to say more on that. Okay, so so this is sorry, this is going to be a little bit of a curveball, but this is my area. So that's okay. Um, um, uh, my area is uh, mass murder by states. That's that's what I've researched and published on. Okay, and one of the explanations for the mass murder in the 20th century is technology. We we had more technology now, and so killing was on a different scale. Okay, well now for the for the atomic bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, I'll, I'll grant that, right? That's a lot of killing with a relatively uh, small amount of human effort, right? Um, but uh, leaving that aside, um, that doesn't really uh, explain most of the the vast majority of the people who civilians who were killed uh, by states in the 20th century, um, most of which was you know by commies and so forth, right? Um, and this was done through uh, what the will. I would say, not through technology. I mean, mostly millions of people died because they were worked to death and starved to death because, uh, you know, people went into the Ukraine and took their food from them, to, took the food from the farmers, you know. And this is not, um, this is not technology. This is, this is will. This is evil. I, I don't know what you want to call it. It's, it's, it's not something you need a, a fancy modern technology for. Most of it was done without the aid of, uh, particularly modern technology is literally just people who had the political strength and will uh, doing this to other people. Right. Yes. Now, would you tie that into um, a materialist worldview then? Um, Or would you accredit it to something else? Like that was one of the things that we were going to, I think, get at in this space eventually is that, you know, I think was as we as we were prepping the whole thing, we said, you know, you start at a certain point and we end up down to the like the end of, you know, the thing. It's like it all comes down to it's all about demons. You know what I mean? And there's there mm-hmm. is a certain and, and that's one of the things that we live in denial of. And I don't disagree with you. Um, and again, I think it's just a matter of different em- emphasis. But I, I think that the, the materialism of our worldview causes us to blind ourselves to underlying spiritual realities that are driving a lot of events in that regard. Yeah. yeah, but but ultimately, I'm not real happy on that that uh, perspective either. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm really... Uh, I, I, I've been listening. I've been hanging around like Francis, Francis Schaeffer and Sudan Labrie and all this stuff all my life. I've been hearing this all my life, and I, and I just don't buy it. I've thought a lot about it for decades. Um, and the problem with the materialist worldview thing is that, um, you know, this was like a short phase that is, in my view, already over, right? It was just, uh, you know, a tactical trick to unseat uh, Christianity uh, from its prominent place in Christendom, right? Um, having achieved that, which they mostly have, they're dropping, they're dropping the materialist crap, right? And they're moving right on to a form of spirituality, 
a form of spirituality I would consider, you know, like satanic or whatever, but, but nevertheless, a form of spirituality. I mean, I, I don't have to go to recent times. I can go way back in my memory and think about uh, finding books where they're talking about Gaia and all this sort of thing, you know? Um, I mean, I would say the high tide of atheism, materialistic atheism was the 1950s. That was absolutely the peak in the, in the United States, at least, uh, with that conference celebrating uh, Darwin at the University of Chicago. That was really where it peaked out. And it's been downhill ever since. And certainly, and I'm thinking about the elites, but certainly the man on the street. I mean, I don't know how many people you know, but they're all like into astrology and stuff. Like, where, they, are, the materi- where are the materialists? You know? Well, then th- this is this is the challenge, though, Stephen. Is that that there 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 is, I, and this I think why I, I preface it with more of what I would call functional materialism, right? And yes, there there's a lot of 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 crazy spiritual practices, and a lot of the things that the regime are doing are you know, the introduction of a new state religion. And I, I, I don't disagree with that, but because of the secular framing that, that we live with, that, that you're right, may have peaked in the fifties because of this secular framing, um, we live in a kind of denial. And I think that the push is still there. It, it's trotted out every time that Christians try to step up to the table and say, Hey, wait a minute. Um, here, here's where we see the problem in a sense of that, that our faith and our relationship to the God of Scripture's living God is completely out of line. And th- that needs to change or our society is continued to going to be um, sick and unwell. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the secular framing is pushed back at it. So there, there's a kind of sleight of hand that happens all the time. So on the one hand, people are grasping for the spiritual because we're 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 spiritual beings. That's who we are. Right. Yeah. But then on another level, um, the, there's this sort of you know official dogma that pushes back on it all the time. You know what I mean? So you have these two things kind of running side by side of people trying to because heaven. I mean, you know, like living vibrant Christianity is now low status. So heaven forbid that you are a practicing devout Christian. But, you know, it's okay to, to be reading tarot cards and, and, and being new agey or, or Buddhist right. or whatever. Um, but if you want to bring your faith into the public sphere, like there's no table for a devout Christian at the table, not in any serious sense. And it's the atheism and the materialism that pushes you out. And I think a lot of people, Christians included, live functionally as, as materialists. And that's why our churches are often so sick today is that we have imminentized the faith. Um, and, and we run our churches like businesses rather than as, you know, s- yeah, spiritual communities. Um, yeah, I, I think. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Stephen. You go first. Uh, sorry, I'm going to go. So I think in a way I agree with Stephen, but I would almost say that in a way he doesn't go far enough because the, you know, with the atomic bombs comment, right? Like they didn't come out of nowhere. What were we doing before that? We were, we were napalming entire cities, right? So, you know, the human, the human scale was, was administered um, in terms of the, the death toll 
you know, in a, in a lot of different ways. And most of the killing that was done in terms of like genocides during, you know, various parts of the 20th century. I mean, the vast majority of that was people standing six feet in front of other people and shooting them into, into a, into a mass grave. Right. So, okay. You know, a lot of there, in a certain sense, it's not the technology, it's something else. I would posit it's actually democracy as, <laughs> as a kind of metaphysical force. Um, and, <laughs> And, and who makes his argument actually is Roger Scruton in a number of different ways. Um, who I, I know Scrutinism has gone out of fashion as our good friend Charles Hayward has critiqued. But, you know, Scruton said that democracy um, was a war against forms. And I think fundamentally he's right. Democracy is an idea, uh, not political democracy like we're going to vote or whatever. That's a an instantiation of democracy as a kind of metaphysical claim about the world, um, which dismantles authority uh, kind of across the board. Um, and it's an, it's an ultimate leveling. And so materialism was not a serious claim. I don't think on its own, I think materialism became fashionable because it was an easy out for a democratic society to totally level people's abilities to make claims about the truth or falsity of other people. Essentially, democracy is an attempt to turn every uh, articulable position into an opinion and not a statement of fact. Um, and if all we have are preferences, uh, preferences is a better word here than opinions, but if all we have are preferences, then, you know, nobody's wrong, man. You know, like I like this and you like that and I like up and you like down. Um, materialism is a, or was a, an easy switch to say, well, you know, uh, Christians might want a government that looks something like this and Muslims might want a government that looks something like that. And, you know, Jews might want this and that or the other thing, but, you know, nobody can say anything. Because we all have to play by the same rules. Nobody can right, be right. Nobody can be wrong. You can't judge anybody. No, no conduct is beyond the pale. You know, you see people out in public, uh, wearing sweatpants and you can't say, you know, like, why don't, why don't people dress nice anymore? Like any, literally any opinion has been deconstructed by democratic society. And then we wonder why, you know, our communities are falling apart. Our police don't want to arrest people anymore. You know, I think I think all of it is boiled down to the idea that we've deconstructed authority through democracy. Right. But but just like with just like with what I said about materialism, I see this as tactical, right? It's just a tactical move to unseat um, uh, hierarchy, right, in the case of democracy or spiritual or Christianity in the case of democracy. And and I'm sorry, in the case of um uh, materialism. And so in both cases, it, it just seems to me it's tactical. It, it lasts very briefly. Um, it, it's more noticeable when um, these, you know, forces of the left or whatever get power quickly. Then that, that whole materialist uh, phase passes very quickly. Like, like, here's something that comes to mind. The sexual revolution in Russia. Like, hardly anyone even knows it happened because it was so brief. They got into power and they kind of tried to do the sexual revolutionary thing, like 1960s or whatever, and 
march around the nude, a march against shame and all this stuff. Um, and uh, it brought so much chaos. The regime was like, hey, this is going to mess with what we're trying to do here, um, our power and everything. And so they shut it down. Like it lasted four years or something. Um, Alexandra Kolontai is the name to look up on that. Um, so, you know, because we've been, it's taken longer in the West and in particular in America, I think, to unseat um, the forces they want to unseat, you know, of Christianity and hierarchy and so forth, um, then they've stayed longer in that sort of tactical phase. But I think it's enlightening to look at places where they got power quickly and then they just get rid of all that BS and say, no, we're, we're in charge now. Screw democracy. <laughs> uh, we're, we're in charge. And here's your new religion. Um, you know, I mean, they call it an atheist religion yeah. or whatever, but, you know, you look at North Korea and it, it's it's quite clear how much it is of religion, right? Yeah, I, I, Stephen, I want to add to that. Uh, and Michael yeah. Foster, I saw you had your, your hand up. If you, uh, I sent you an invite to, to speak, you want to comment, um, let me know if you didn't receive it. Uh, but so a couple of quick uh, quick thoughts, just kind of riffing off what you were saying, Stephen. Two, two examples come to mind of materialism, not really as the dominant, and, and again, Kryptos talks about this as a, uh, the difference between a, a philosophical and practical materialism. But two examples come to mind, Stephen, uh, based on what you're saying, as a practical materialism, functional materialism, as a result of being under an oppressive regime. Uh, first one is the Solzhenitsyn. You can see this in the Gulag Archipelago, where essentially the, the, the state, the, there's, no, there's no such thing as a secular state, right? Uh, Oren writes a lot about this. Uh, there's always a belief system of religion that's imposed. Uh, and in, in, uh, in Solzhenitsyn's writings, you can see how you're, you're forced to functionally live as a materialist if you're a Christian. Now, it's not to say that the, 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 the regime itself doesn't act like a, fun, like a materialist regime. They're, they're very religious. There's a, a, a supernatural, transcendent uh, order of values and morality that still is imposed upon the population. But as, a, as far as a Christian is concerned, you have to live as a materialist to be able to abide under those conditions. You see, so that's one example. The other one I think of is um, uh, time of Elijah and first and second Kings, where uh, you do have some prophets of, uh, of the one true God sort of spread out across the divided kingdoms. But functionally, nobody is praying to the Lord. And indeed, the, the, the regime of Ahab and, and Queen Jezebel is imposed upon the, the, the uh, the kingdom is very much not a materialist kingdom. Now, the the Jews, the, the people of God, the Hebrews have to function as materialists. They can't pray to God. They don't. So they essentially forget over time. Uh, but the regime that they are under is anything but a materialist regime. They you know they pray to Baal. They they offer insane sacrifices, and there is a there's very much a spiritual war uh, going on where where God's people are forced to become functional uh, materialists. Um, anyway, that's, those are two examples that come to mind. Michael Foster, I, I gave you, I invited you to speak, you want to chime in? Yeah, I'm just thinking about some of the stuff that Stephen said. Um, I, I think I, so one thing I was thinking, um, and I'm going to ask this to you, Mr. Carson, um, what, it, what it reminded me of was that, that chapter in Screw Tape Letters where um, Screwtape's talking to Wormwood about people denying, um, uh, I think I have it right here. When humans disbelieve in our existence, we lose all the pleasing results of direct terrorism, and we make no magicians. 
On the other hand, uh, when they only believe in us, we cannot make the materialists make them materialists. And uh, this is wrong quote. Uh, it talks about the uh, the materialist magician, and the goal is to basically move them to materialism and then basically create a spirituality by another name. Is that kind of in line with what you're talking about? Yeah, and and what's what's coming to mind, sir, is that it 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 feels like fighting yesterday's battle in a way. It's like materialism was used tactically. Um, they've moved on. And that's like in the rearview mirror at this point. Like I said, like I look at I look at the reality around me and I see um, people who are acting highly religious. They're bending the knee, they're washing feet, right. you know. I mean, shall I go on? I mean hopefully you well, get it, right? Uh, right? They're acting highly religious. And if you talk to people, they don't talk like materialist people. So, uh, you know, men's event uh, where there's all these kind of online Twitter influencers, you know, and they love to talk about evolutionary psychology and basically how, you know, they use neurology to explain every single thing they can think of. Um, so it would seem at first like they're talking about man as a meat machine, right? Um, but what was interesting is how everyone openly talked about Satan. Like by name, <laughs> and I was like, "What's going on? This is a, wow. a very weird sort of development where we've got." I was sitting with a pretty well-known Twitter influencer, and he was talking to me about how he got in trouble, went to jail, and read the Bible. And that's he's not a theist, like a monotheist. And that he's like, "That's what I knew there was evil in the world, and that there's something like Satan around." And then, but these are the sort of people that are going to write. You know, you're online. Twitter threads or newsletters that explain everything through dopamine and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And, and I remember coming back and someone asked me what my takeaway is. And I said, well, I think I heard the, the last gurgles of materialism is what it felt like. It was gurgling and dying and that no one, <laughs> well you know, talk about, <laughs> they just can't, even when they're using this sort of uh, evolutionary biological framework, it, it really ends up bowing down to some greater spiritual framework. Like in the conversation, it comes out really quick. So they're always like guilty of, you know, Hume's guillotine. It's always the naturalistic fallacy like over and over again. And that's because they're appealing to some greater, some greater truth. So I don't know. I was just about what right. you're saying. It, yeah. It's, um, it's interesting to, to listen. Like I, I don't disagree that, Materialism as a dominant force, you know, overwhelming whatever is probably behind us. The the question is, what kind of damage has it done, and what does it leave in its wake? And this is the one thing that I've come to appreciate with um, Augusto del Noche in reading his his writing, and what he talks a lot about is this process of immanentizing the gospel in a sense that. Um, the gospel it, or, or the, the move of God is, is brought down and, and put into historical and social terms. And everything, it becomes, you know, God becomes something akin to the Hegelian world spirit, you know, that's then aligned with human progress, right? And um, you, when we look at the world and you talk about Okay, so so what is going to step in, and, and how are Christians going to then? Okay, if 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 materialism is crumbling, 
how do Christians claim this space, right? Because there, there was a time when we talk about the hierarchy of being in which that hierarchical order was seen as inviolable. It just, it, 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 it was what was. That was the order of life. And, and you didn't question the king because God put the king in his place. You didn't question the bishop because God put the bishop in his place, right? And and God put you where you were, and, and the order and the place of things was just, that was what is. And that that divine hierarchical order was seen as, a, because it was God's order, you just simply didn't find it. And once, you know, materialists swept that away, you know, we can talk about hierarchy now, but when we talk about hierarchy, we're not talking about hierarchy the way that somebody talked about it in you know, the seven or eight hundreds, like that, we just have two, it's two conceptually different worldviews, right? So how do you then get to the point where in a metaphysical sense, um, and, and this is, we, we talk about a man and a woman, right? You know, today in, in a material world, um, in, in the world that we're in, well, if, if I decide what that, what that means, and you're know, like, no, there is an inviolable order. You are born a woman and the way that you find fulfillment is by embracing the female archetype that exists all around us um, that is is metaphysical supernatural it's woven into the fabric of creation by God you know this is his wisdom and life and and this is that theme that runs all through scripture is that you wisdom is about gaining that God-inspired sight. This is what Abraham does when he goes up to the mountain and sacrifices Isaac. Is he, he goes up the mountain of sight. You know, he is seen by God. God sees him and sees his faithfulness um, and, and, and his, his devotion to the will of God. And in so doing, he gains, he's able to, to, to he gains his wisdom, right? He sees the world. And that's, you know, that sense of, of you know, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, you know, if you have God-inspired sight, you're able to then see the patterns that underlie the world. And this is, I think, part of why, you know, you have the this idea of, you know, you know evolutionary archetypes, that thing that, that Jordan Peterson is always talking about. It's a way of kind of bringing in this sort of the back door, this old medieval type of hierarchy, you know, Christian type of hierarchy that it just is. But, well, it isn't just is, it's, it's evolutionary, right? And you're like, no, 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 no. God put it in place at the creation of the world. So you know, we've had this sort of materialist wreckage and religion is being revived, but there is still a barrier or, or a leap that we have yet to make. The, the Christians are not claiming the space of sort of reclaiming the metaphysical world. And then it gets beyond just simply order and wisdom of recognizing that um, the angelic, the demonic, that these are real beings that influence and have great power over the events that we see all around us. And so, yeah, well, yes, materialism may be, you know, decomposing, but then what is claiming that space that, that we used to know as Christians in, in, and, and just sort of took for granted in the world of around us until it was subverted over several hundred years, very, very successfully. Yeah. We're worth noting on the trans thing you brought up that, um, one thing you can say, uh, about, um, uh, that is that uh, they're not exactly submitting their so themselves to material reality, right? No, they're, they're not. To, they're trying to transcend material reality, or you could even say, from a Darwinist point of view, 
they're trying to transcend sort of evolutionary biology reality, right? What? Which is which is why, like anybody who looks at a thing like materialism and and and, and so forth, it, it quickly just devolves, and it's just stupid. You know what I mean? And in, in part for just the kind of things that you're talking about, because you're actually not accepting material reality, and yet you're claiming to be a materialist, and you're sweeping away all this order and everything, and saying that there's no meaning in the world, and I impose meaning or whatever. And it's like, well, okay, but you're still just not accepting physical reality. You know that that that's a thing, right? Isn't that kind of a resurgence of Gnosticism, though, right? It's, no, it's a it's a substitute religion. It's it's human progress as a faith belief that we as human beings, through our own power, can create heaven all around us. That's that immanentizing, you know. You, at least that's my sense of it. Is that the, the the real powerful belief is the belief in human progress? I think I think Christians are going to have a really tough time building any alternative or a recapitulation, whatever term you want to use for the, the, the old medieval idea of the great chain of being, because, um, you know, a lot of that had to do with place and belonging. And um, I mean, like, why do people have, um, why do people put today so much emphasis on uh, their high school reunions? <laughs> And I think it's because that's really the last vestige of an unchosen bond that exists in our society. And it's hard today to go back and say, Hey, you know, um, we're going to, we're going to try to reset up a society where you belong and where you feel like you have a place and where, you know, there's a divine ordering to, uh, the way that we're going to operate together and live together. But if you get an offer, to make $8,000 a year more on the other side of the planet, you know, you're going to move. And then probably three years after that, you'll move again. So, you know, where, you know, if we're going to sell people an idea that we're ordered according to an authority to owe obligation to one another, then we have to owe obligation to one another, which is not something that seems to exist in mass society as it's currently organized. Which is one of the things that, you know, like I don't really believe that the regime can be brought down. Um, it may collapse under its own weight. And that's why I have long been advocating um, the building of alternative communities. It's um, uh, some version. I mean, Rod Dreher, um, for all of his weaknesses, I think did hit on something with his Benedict option. You know, it's corny as that name may be. I mean, um, you know, in the reform tradition that I have back rooted in the Netherlands, we basically, you know, with neo-Kyperianism um, and the reaction to um, the liberal enlightenment in the 1800s in Holland, um, you know, there was this sense of, of um, that we needed as, as Christian communities to create an alternate set of institutions that could then um, show the sovereignty of God in these institutions of what it looks like now. It, I mean, it's had mixed success and so forth, but that, that's beside the point. But I think fundamentally that's probably where we're going to have to begin. We're not going to begin and going to be able to do it by claiming, you know, metaphysics in, um, you know, the halls of Congress, but those metaphysical orders can be rebuilt in our own communities slowly. 
it, and that's just it's not going to happen overnight but there's there's work to be done in that regard but if we're going to do it we have to begin at home i think and then build out from there i concur um, <laughs> yeah. so what today and, and some of this stuff is a little over my my knowledge level so but yeah, one thing I'm just going to, uh, go ahead. before anybody else has a chance to, to take us further away from this comment, I'd like to petition to rename Rod Dreyer's book, The Budapest Option, because that's where he really ended up. <laughs> oh my word. <laughs> why, why, why build a, a trad community when Victor Orban can do it for you and you can just move in? Oh my word. Yeah, just. Yeah, I, I, I feel bad for the poor guy. I just, I don't want to dump on him anymore. But yeah. <laughs> so what I was gonna say, I read this book. I don't know if you guys have read Stephen Osmond's When Fathers Ruled. Um, it's a great book about how the Reformation's not just you know Sola Fide or whatever, but actual reclaiming of a biblical view of family, sexuality, fatherhood, and all that sort of stuff. But the first couple chapters of that book talks about just right in that pre-Reformation age. That you've got to real break up the Roman, the Holy Roman. Uh, yep. So Empire. as nobody else has a as as a thought on that exact point, I can I can take us somewhere here. I think, um, and and that's I think two points. Whether we want to move forward with this idea of building parallel communities, or if we want to go back to uh, some of the points about technology, but something I've harped on before about technology. I don't know if it was in my writing or if it was uh, here on Twitter, but you know, we treat technology like it's a like it's a a force which has its own rights to exist, which I think is absolutely wrong. You know, when we when we talk about this technology, the way that we need to frame it is technology is uh, what would you say technical procedures that humans can use to make our lives uh, better somehow. Um, and that needs to, that, that, that last part, our lives better somehow needs to be viewed holistically because if technology is a thing that, well, if we can dream it, we can build it. You know, that's like a sort of cliche phrase. Well, you know, you don't want to build everything you can, you can think of because you know, people, people, as we know, people think of some pretty bad stuff. And if the only people who get to decide whether a technology is pursued are people with the potential to make money off of that technology, every technology that is thought of will be pursued, which is the world that we currently live in. Um, hey, if I may. And, oh. Yes, I go know, ahead. I, I thought I could, yeah, I thought I could deal on this. Um, I think that when we talk about education, we talk about culture, uh, we talk about technology, I think we are living very much in the world um, that is very much bereft of uh, a liberal arts education. And we are reaping, we're basically attending the wake of classical liberal arts. That is, we currently live in a world that is more or less created technologically by a horde of young people who were taught only to pursue that which is possible. And so that means Tinder, streaming pornography, all of that, right? If it can be done, let's do it. If 
we can be monetized, let's get rich. And, and we really lost that training that says, let's, let's study human history and let's come to understand not only what's, what's possible, but what's advisable, what is wise, not just what is, is, is possible. Um, and I think you, you really need to take a step back and understand that the recent history of the Western education system is really what's led us where we are. I think that I think that's a really good point. Um, you know, and this is something that conservatives really struggle with, is that we talk a lot about education, but we end up coming back to like, well, we should teach about critical thinking, and you know, I don't. Yeah, I'll let cryptos go because I don't know that much about. Well, yeah, how as, to as somebody form who, children. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I, I'm not sure I'm the best person. To, I mean, even though I have six, it's, I'm not sure I'm the best person to talk about that. It, it, necessi- it It's one of the reasons why our kids go to Christian schools and people in my faith tradition have founded Christian universities and so forth is is this the necessity and, and the sacrifices you make. Like, I know I look at it financially. I'm well behind most of my peers in terms of education and income level, in part because I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars um, in, Christian, in Christian schooling, educating my kids, right? And so you, you, you prioritize the values that you have, and, and one of those is, is um, our kids, you know, get a, that faith life enfolds them, right, that way. Um, but I, I, one of the points that I was going to draw back to again to, to come back to this issue was um, in, in terms of... Uh, the effect that, that rationalism and all the rest of it has, materialism and so forth, on our culture. Um, Ian McGilchrist's very, very good book about the divided brain and his emphasis on, or his pointing out and observing the way that technology and, and scientific and rational thinking, the, the, the avenues that it pushes into in terms of how we think about the world through these lenses, right? Um, unbalance our thinking and close us off to other aspects of our own country. Even if you look at it, quote unquote, materialistically, that we are closing ourselves off to other forms of learning. Now, an example that I use all the time, and this is kind of a way of, of getting beyond. Um, so what do you mean by non-material learning and non-material logic? So one of the examples that I've used quite frequently in my writings and that, you know, I've used when I've had a chance to preach about it and so forth is, um, Proverbs 26, verse 4 and 5, and I think it's 26. Um, yeah, 26, 4 and 5. So there's, you have two verses that are right back to back. So the first verse says, um, don't correct a fool or you'll get sucked into his folly, something like that. And that pat, that verse seems very familiar. You think, well, that's a great idea. I've, I've known all kinds of fools, and I've, I've, I, I know what it's like to get sucked into to foolish conversations and walk away thinking, well, that was really unproductive, right? But then the very next verse says, correct a fool, or he will remain stuck in his folly, or something very close to that. And now you're like, oh, so if you come sort of like a to to from a you know, and I apologize to anybody who are fundamentalists and and you know the literal meaning of the scripture and so forth. But you know, one of the reasons why I'm not a fundamentalist is is this type of, of grouping creates a real problem because you have two opposite pieces proverbs right back to back, and it. it I, I meditated on this for years until it, it struck me that the point of those two texts being together side by side 
is not to, to offer one option or the other, but to reveal to us something of the nature of wisdom itself. So with technology and scientific learning and so forth, you know, the idea that knowledge is power, that we have to be able to build something, turn it into money, so forth, right? Well, wisdom, the author is saying, is not something that you have or possess. It doesn't give you power. In some sense, you don't know what the right answer is. You don't have anything, right? You, you have a relationship with the Lord, and you live in fear of the Lord, and then you're going to meet a fool. And if you live properly before the Lord, the answer will present itself in the moment. But what do you have? You have nothing. Well, what is wisdom? Well, it really isn't there. So where does this knowledge come from? How do you put it into words? Well, you don't really. It kind of lies in between, behind, underneath the text. You know, it's it's caught up in the the, the pushing together of those two opposite pieces of, of proverbial advice, um, living side by side there and exposing that in a sense, you won't really know what to do until you arrive at the moment. Well, how do you put that into, you know, the five five steps for proper fool handling, right? Which is how you'd write your book up and then get it sold, you know? So now you've got your five steps of proper fool handling and, and that's kind of the way we want it. So you have kind of knowledge of power. But this the, the wisdom tradition opens up a whole thing. And what McGilchrist is saying is that we, in, in, in our rational world, we close ourselves off from all of that kind of knowing. Well, once you open your up and say that there's a whole realm of knowledge behind that, then you're sort of the dominoes begin to drop in a sense of like, oh, there's a whole set of metaphysical orders. Oh, there's a whole bunch of archetypes that just they pop up and reveal themselves over and over and over again in life all around me. Meaning is everywhere. If I just open my eyes to look at it, if I live right with God, the world will just enfold itself with meaning. Um, I don't have to have the burden to carry that meaning forward. So I think some of these avenues are ways that we as Christians can begin to start talking, teaching ourselves, but also introducing these ideas back to people that in some sense they're not hard, but in a sense they're, they're very different from the way that we're used to thinking about the world, if that makes sense. Here we go. I hope I haven't lost everybody. <laughs> no. Oh, good. Um, I think there's a, there's a dimension to materialism that that uh, I probably uh, I'm probably just complicating not complicating uh, equivocating two terms here but there seems to be a, a species of uh, materialism that we are experiencing right now that has to do more with time and that is uh, I, I thought of this with a comment you made earlier about uh, you mentioned something about generations where uh, and, and talking about the effects of materialism um, uh, on us. And there's a way in which how we live as Christians these days is, uh, broadly speaking, hyper-focused on just this moment. Uh, and it's, it's sort of a, a version of materialism that focuses, instead of what's physically in front of us, it focuses on simply the time that we have right now and, and completely disconnects oneself from who we came from and uh, uh, who's going to come after us. Oh, it was the comment, the comment that you made that made me think of this was you're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to educate your kids and give them a Christian education. That is sort of an anti-materialist view because you, it gets you out of a sort of monolithic uh, uh, space and time understanding of, of yourself. And you're investing in the future. You're investing in other people in ways that, 
is detached from the here and now that you can touch and feel and see and measure uh, in ways that will, you, you will not be around necessarily to see the, the return on investment for the the education, the effort that you put behind your children. And, and I hope this is certainly the same case for me with my kids. Uh, but that itself is, a, is antithetical to materialism, which forces us to consider the now and the present and what we see in front of us, uh, we can touch and feel as the only thing that matters in a sort of hyper-religious sense. Yeah, and there, I had a thought on, on this subject in terms of just, oh yes, I, the, the thread that I had written earlier that had been bouncing around in response to um, Nate Silver's thing about like, what do you do in the bedroom, right? That this idea that we are not connected to anybody else and what i do in my bedroom does what i do in my own bedroom is nobody else's business right and and you know it doesn't affect anybody and we had you know one of these ways that we can say is that as christians you push back and say that no there is a spiritual bond between people i mean you know that between husband and wife between friends you know he really gets me she really gets me you know um and then you scale that up to a whole community, but then also in, in a metaphysical sense of we have a human nature that connects us and ties us all together. So if you are in your bedroom by yourself corrupting yourself, you are invariably corrupting this whole thing that binds us all together as human beings in, on, on a metaphysical level. And, and we want to live in our society in denial that there is this... Um, this connection between us beyond merely sort of being isolated monads who live in the moment, disconnected from everybody else, you know, forming our own, our own meaning and being and, and, and so forth in our lives. Yeah, 100%. Um, I mean, the ultimate form of materialism, like all hyper-materialism in a way, is, is not just the physical world is everything that exists in all the only thing that's important, but it is reduced to oneself where you say, I'm the only thing that that is important insofar as my, my small universe is concerned. Whatever I touch, whatever I interact with is given importance because I interact with it. Uh, and anything that, that I don't run into as it were, as a, as a kinetic body, as a material kinetic body, then has no importance. That is the, the ultimate form of materialism. And it is, uh, kind of riffing off that thread you had, which is really good. Um, what is, is suicidal, and it is it's ludicrous to imagine oneself as being totally isolated, the ultimate atom, as it were. As it were. Well, and, and this is the this is sense, too, why, you know, the, the moment you begin poking at it, you know, as, as Stephen was saying before he, he, he jumped out, um, you know, that, that materialism is just dumb. Like, it, it can't be sustained for very long. Because it, it, the, as soon as you assert it, its dumbness is just self-evident almost. Right? You know, the fact that you have consciousness tells you that your atoms are not producing consciousness. Because you're, you know, did I? You can say, do I refuse to have a thought? I, I have a thought, but I didn't speak. So there's all these levels of of awareness and consciousness that just simply say that, you know, all my thoughts are not simply merely being produced by. By the atoms thing, because we don't really know where our consciousness comes from, and a lot of it just happens out from behind things. So even our own consciousness tells us that the world is not purely material; that you are you are not a monad; that you're connected to something larger. But as soon as you begin to say that, then 
there is a sense of, of, and I think this is really maybe what the world doesn't want to deny, and this is like that will to power that, that Stephen was talking about, is that if I deny my connection to an order, then I can, you know, ultimately, if, if the world is material in that sense, then there is no morality. I can just simply assert my will on the world, and I can kill millions because um, I believe it's the right thing to do. I just assert my will in the world. And we're said, like, no, 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 no. There is a metaphysical order to which you need to be beholden. And that metaphysical order is wrapped up in in God and in the created order that he fashioned. Right? And and so then you're you know the evil that you do has now you violated that order. And you violated the will of God. You violated what God has, has put. And so you're no longer subordinate. And I think that's that subordination um, of, of our actions that is, is really the thing that they want to get rid of. To put, you know, humanism, to put man at the center of the world. Yeah, that's right. I think, I think, I think that's, uh, I think that's all right. Um, I, my phone's on low battery, so I want to <laughs> get this thought out before sure. I have to leave you all. Um, but I think this is an expression of that that democratic spirit that I had touched on earlier, where you know it's important that everybody is at an equal playing field because then every interaction, every identity, every point, every junction, every conjunction becomes chosen. We can form ourselves, and the materialism really becomes important to the leveling of moral questions. And once you've leveled away moral questions, you can say, well, you know, and, and this is like, you can get into all sorts of subversive language that leftoids use, like chosen family. Um, <laughs> oh, you know, yeah. like those people aren't your chosen family. They're just people that you know and you like them. Like, you don't have to come up with this crap. Um, and the the point is that, you know, you can be stripped away to only the parts that you agree to. So you decide whether you're a man or a woman, you decide whether you're, you know, actually a dragon, you decide what your family is, you decide what your identity is, you decide your sexuality, you decide every possible niche interest. And these can become grounding for your identity because all the normal things that people have found through millennia founded their identities on their their real family their family the the fact that they're part of a family that people in their community know and that you have a reputation and that you live together and you do these things and uh you know where you're from well people don't stay where they're from anymore and people don't people's families don't do they're not known for things anymore people leave and um you know because we've wiped prestige from all of these deep human interactions and deep human connections the person is left alone in an absolute void that they have to fill with the force of their own personality um which becomes incredibly dangerous and it's why i think we get these people who they form their entire personalities around the few things that they interact with or that they feel the most control over 
and they become absolutely stunted uh, consumers um, instead of active participants in in self growth. Um, you know, which is something that Junger talks about uh, <laughs> ad, ad nauseum. But I'll I'll yeah. leave on that thought. Well, it's a good thought, Sanfrancisco. Is that this this idea too is then people embrace the the most primal, powerful urges, right? You see it in our society. We indulge ourselves in food. We indulge ourselves in sex because these things seem real, right? And 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 so we don't know where to find meaning. So sex and food become like they take on outsized importance um, rather than then harnessing these desires, taming them, putting them in their proper place, ordering them rightly, we we just simply, the, these desires become the meaning of our life. Well, I, I've, 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 I do want to be mindful of the fact that we've been in here for an hour and 20 minutes now, 10, 20 minutes. Um, and... Um, just to respect people's time and also maybe to leave everybody hanging for the next time in the sense that we can, we can do this again and come up with some stuff and, and, you know, don't be afraid to leave stuff in the comments or DM or whatever, if there is a topic. But one of the things that we, as, as a, a number of us who have been chatting behind the scenes have, have really put forward. And that's one of the reasons why we picked this topic in particular, because it, it's the heart of it is. This question of how do we as Christians, you know, as this, this, the, the old order is in many ways decomposing around us because it does, it, it, it lacks, it, it isn't really, it, it lacks all the necessary things to sustain itself. So how do then we as Christians with really perhaps the only true meaningful um, worldview order, how do we reassert ourselves as as a group as a people in the world around us you know and that's i think one of these questions that have that that we as a, as christians as as believers represent everything that the regime isn't so how then do we foster and cultivate that sense of 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 difference and power um to say that here is a different way of doing things and this is not a dead tradition that we're trying to revive this is not sort of you know, Greekism or whatever, but this is a living tradition that can provide people with hope, refuge, and a path forward. I guess that's kind of where, you know, and I think it's time for us, especially in this dissident right and Twitter spaces and things, because this is where a lot of these things are happening now, is to say that no, you know, the future is that you'd like to dump on us, say, Christians in the past and say like, no, 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 no. Um, Christianity is the future. And the Christian faith is a future, and we're going to show you why and how. And I think that's really where we have to go. At least that's my thing, and I think this is sort of the first step in that regard, is to say that, you know, yeah, the in some ways the heart and soul, this is the, the reason why this name, the Christian ghetto, it comes down to something from Spengler, where he says the, the heart of the Christian community is that we are people in some sense without a land, um, and and we conquer the world through conversion and, and through discipleship. And that's really who we are and what we're about. And that's in a sense of, you know, back to the basics, becoming a people who are, you know, conquering the world through, through conversion and discipleship, and then asserting ourselves again on the stage.
I don't know if anyone else has wants to add their own concluding words. No, I think that's true. And and I mean, part of the other uh, part of the conclusion that we discussed uh, behind the scenes was uh, a way to counteract this mind virus that the brain wears is aware of materialism in your own life is really commit yourself to the uh, the ordinary means of grace that the Lord uh, lays out for in the Scripture. You know, pray, um, engage in uh, you know tithe. Do, do these things that uh, we are commanded to do. Yeah. that break the spell routinely and over the course of your life add up to you right. not not living functionally functionally like an atheist or materialist but practically uh thinking and speaking and living like that's a, right a Christian. yeah pray devotional life just do it on the one sense um, but also stay connected to a real tangible community you have to be um, and this is one of the things we talk about, like living bonds, being in community um, and staying in community. They aren't perfect. Um, and, you know, we've been wounded and undermined, but it still lives. And so be in community, be in prayer, tithe, um, worship. Um, yeah, act virtuously according to the will of the Lord. Um, all of these things. Yeah, that's a very good, very good thought, Santiago. Well, I think that unless, um, San Fidesi, unless you have anything to add, then maybe we can close this off. And thank you all for participating. It was nice, very gratifying to see such a big crowd here at the peak. So thank you all for showing up. And um, and uh, to next time, I don't know when we'll do this again, but hopefully it will be soon. Thanks, all. Yeah, take care. Thank you.